God is not a God of disorder or confusion, but is the God of peace. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning stars rise in your hearts. You are tuning into the Tribe of Christians podcast with host Brandon Dawson, the chief sinner, bringing you a peace of mind, clarity, insight, and perspective to the world you live in by the word of God, featuring the latest updates on end time prophecy news. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe to the, to the Tribe, Tribe of Christians, Christians broadcast, either on Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Facebook, or YouTube at tribeofchristians.com. Without further ado, here is your host and teacher, The Chief Sinner. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians podcast. I'm your host, the Chief Sinner. Debt, inflation, war, active shooters, terrorism, LGBT, and liberal extremism, abortion, persecution, and an ever-looming presence of the end times that are upon us. Is there any hope for our children's future? I'm going to give you some of the greatest prophetic insight concerning our children's future right from the book of Joshua. The other day, I met a man from a very familiar place in the United States, Texas, which is where I'm originally from. And we got talking about some stuff, and this man was in charge of operations at a major pharmaceutical company and seemed to be doing all right as far as finances go. But as much money as this man made, it seemed that he had far more greater concerns than money. Now, we all know that although money can buy a lot of things, it most certainly can't buy everything and in some cases it's completely useless and we talked about a lot of things and how the times have significantly changed just in the last 10 to 15 years everything from music movies and sports which we both agreed that most of today's context lacked originality and authenticity then we got to talking about history the past the present and the future And I told the man, you know, we're living in one of the most significant and unique times in all of history. We are seeing all kinds of history and prophetic movements happening right before us. Things that have never occurred that hundreds of generations only dreamed about seeing. Now, the man agreed with enthusiasm. And then he said something to me. He said, it's definitely exciting times that we're living in, no doubt. But at the same time, it's terrifying. And he looked over at his two sons who were playing just beyond our conversation. And he said, I'm worried about what kind of future that they're going to have. I never got the chance to fully offer him the encouragement about the future. We both had to part ways quickly. But I got to thinking how many of us have had that very same question. What kind of future do our children have? And is there any kind of hope for them at all? A lot of us have various ideas in how to protect and secure that future for our children. Some of us, it's through funding of college and educational expenses. Some of us, it's saving up and establishing a trust fund. 
Some of us, it's school of hard knocks life, and others, unfortunately, it's without a single thought, care, or even concern in the world for our children. While many of us enjoy the presence and the blessings of children and we work to plan for their future, many others are not convinced and they abstain from actually having children at all. Now, there was an article written by the New York Times that shared several surveys and polls that revealed that Americans are not only having fewer children in the United States, but also having them much older and less frequency, less frequent in life than what they used to. Now, research shows that only 60 out of 1,000 Americans are having children, or close to about 6% and declining. The survey conducted by Morning Consult concluded that some of the top reasons why fewer Americans are having children were because of both money, time, and a lack of relationship interest, or in other words, no interest of getting married or into a relationship at all. And that's not surprising, not one bit. We live in an age surrounded by war or threats of war like countries from Iran, Syria, or even Russia. We're consumed in debt as Americans average about $38,000 per household in debt with an overall estimated $13 trillion debt deficit. Economic inflation is constantly rising, so prices keep going up. It's expensive in today's times. And then there is an extreme persecution of the church and of Christians from the far-left Democratic Party and the LGBT organizations and the transgender movement, and we're living at the very verge of the end times. So, in the light of all that, is there truly any kind of hope for a future for our children? And is there anything that we can do or should be doing? Now, if you would, please turn with me in your Bible to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, starting with verse, four, verse 1, our text is going to come right from Joshua chapter The times change, technology changes, culture changes, trends change, spiritual laws and principles do not change. God does not change. The Word of God does not change. The promises of God do not change. Jesus does not change. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected from the grave, and his promises are still consistently true to this day as they were ever so true when Jesus spoke them. And even so, before the birth of Christ, even before the very foundations of the earth were ever laid, God was consistently sovereign and the same as he still is to this day. God never changes. Now Solomon testified in Ecclesiastes 1.9 that there is absolutely nothing new under the sun. What was will happen again? History overflows with repeating themes and cycles. Now this means that although each and every single person is uniquely different, but yet the word of God is still completely 100% absolutely relevant to every single person at all times, no matter who they are, where they are, what time period they're living in, and what their background is, despite nationality and ethnicity or race. God still uses the same methods he has used since day one. And what God did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God can and will do for you too and your family. 
He isn't just the God of Abraham. He isn't just the God of Jacob. He isn't just the God of Isaac. And he isn't just the God of Moses or Israel. He is the one and only true living God, which makes him God of everybody. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham, right before God changed his name from Abram, had just come up from out of Egypt. And the Lord spoke a prophecy to Abraham concerning Egypt and his promise to Abraham about his descendants. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 16, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites have not yet reached its full measure. So in other words, what is happening here is that God promises Abraham right in the previous chapter, in chapter 14, and tells Abraham that I'm going to give you a child and I'm going to make nations out of you and out of your descendants. And then Abraham goes through Egypt as a result of a famine. And as Abraham is passing Egypt, God says, oh, by the way, your descendants will first be enslaved here in this land and be badly mistreated for like 400 years before they actually come into the land I am promising to you and your descendants. Now, can you imagine if God told you that? That's like God coming up to you and saying, I'm going to bless you with a child and make that child great. And a whole lot of people are going to come forth through you and your descendants. But they're going to go through terrible suffering terrible oppression. They'll be badly mistreated, severely persecuted for 400 years. But don't worry, I'll punish those who mistreat them and will bring them into their own land and prosperity. Now, wouldn't you want to stop a second and say, wow, but do I really want to put my children through suffering like that? 400 years is a super long time. That's like four generations of your family. Being born into slavery and persecution under severe oppression. What kind of hope is there for that person, that person's family? Abraham doesn't even mention that concern. He never even asked the question. You'll notice that. And I think at this point, Abraham is actually simply excited about the mere future of even getting to have a child. And isn't that the truth? But yet it's such a shame. We're living in an age of abortion and where people are taking for granted the very possibility of even being able to have children. Thousands of people all over the face of the earth face the inability to even have a child where there are others who are aborting and murdering the children in their very wombs. And probably for the sole purpose of finances or time and it's done without a single concern. And that's a consistent theme that we see throughout the book of Exodus and into the book of Joshua dealing with the people of Israel. The theme of focusing on material things, taking human life for granted, being accustomed to the blessings of materials and food rather than relationships and family. And honestly, that's the battle that Israel 
never seem to completely win, ultimately losing at the very cost of their nation. And if we're not careful here in America or any country in which you're in, if we don't consider what's truly before us, what really matters, there are some of us who could face that very possibility. I actually published a prophetic word at the beginning of this year concerning 2019 about the rights of the unborn, the fight of abortion and judgments coming to certain areas like New York concerning abortion. You would think, after witnessing Egypt killing off all of the newborn children and committing abortions, if you remember, that Israel would have gained their appreciation for life. But it really wasn't until the generation that was born in the wilderness that really got it and they really grasped it. And today, we're seeing very similar themes in our nation with the fight of abortion. The number one leading cause of death in the United States is abortion. So if you haven't read that prophetic word, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, you can check it out on our podcast concerning judgment coming to New York. Definitely check it out. So although God tells Abraham that his descendants are going to go through extreme oppression at the hands of Egypt, and despite the conditions of the wilderness, the purpose of the people of Israel was great, greater than any other people group on the face of the earth, and it was proven true. Because God would be born through his very own begotten son Jesus, Emmanuel, right through that lineage from Abraham all the way through King David, all the way to Joseph and Mary. Because God knows that when things get tough, when we are in the midst of suffering and oppression, when we start to second guess our purpose, we start to second guess our identity, we start to second guess God's goodness and God's love. Whenever things around you look like they're cursed, when everything around you looks like a failure and you're wondering, what could anything good possibly come from this? Yet because God is sovereign, God foreknew ahead of time. He knows all things. He knows all things before they were ever created into existence. Because all things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus. God lets us know ahead of time because he's God. He's sovereign. Hey, I've got a great plan and a purpose for you and your family. I have a tremendous blessing upon your life. And when things get tough, I want you to remember that I am with you. And that just because it seems like the exact opposite of blessing, I am working everything out behind the scenes and setting up the stage for the entire world to witness my glory upon your life. Those who persecute you, those who oppress you, everything you face and go through will be for my greater glory. So don't even worry about it. When it comes or when it happens, because it's not your circumstances that define you, but it's me that defines you. And if I am for you, then who in the world can be against you? So that's the conversation that takes place between God and Abraham leading up to the events of Egypt and the events that happened in Exodus. So the enemy is allowed to start murdering off all these Hebrew children and the attempt to destroy their purpose and their existence. But in reality, God is using it to establish their purpose, to build their future, and to set them up for victory. Consider that even in our own nation and in your own life, with everything 
the United States and other nations are facing right now, against your, our youth and against our children, the enemy is being allowed a certain amount of victory against us in an effort to destroy our purpose and to destroy our future. But know that through Israel's example, that God is actually using all these things to establish our purpose, to build our future, to give way for courage and victory and for the object of God's glory. So through this prophecy, Israel's suffering at the hands of Egypt for the first 400 years is a foreshadow of the suffering of Christ at the hands of sinners. Look what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus in Isaiah 53, 5. The Bible says that the very purpose of the very birth of Christ was to be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and to bear the punishment for our peace and to be wounded that we are healed. Also in Isaiah 53, 3, which says that Jesus was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low self-esteem. But yet the name of Jesus is the greatest of all names. Through the very name of Christ, the dead are raised, demons flee, wounds are healed, blind eyes are opened, and sinners are saved. Would Mary and Joseph, knowing all of this about Jesus, have said, no, we can't bring him into this world for everything he's going to suffer. No, that wasn't God's plans or purpose. Just like when Peter tried to deny Jesus his calling to the cross, and Jesus rebuked him for it. So in Joshua chapter 5, we are dealing with a generation of Israelites, the fourth generation that were born in the wilderness and in the desert. Now, some of them were born at the very beginning of the events of Exodus, they were born into slavery. They were born into harsh treatment and severe oppression. That's all that they knew. And interestingly, the number four throughout the entire Bible is symbolically consistent with the theme of the going out of the gospel message, the success of God's word, the unlimited accomplishment of God's Holy Spirit. So God isn't just identifying when Israel will be led into their own land, but he is also signifying his presence and the purpose for Israel, as they will be more numerous than the sands of the seashore, more numerous than the stars in the sky, is what God told Abraham. So when God is saying the fourth generation, this is prophesying and a foreshadowing, the inheritance of the body of Christ, the adopted heirs of the church into the covenant of Abraham, that will reach to all the ends of the earth as Jesus prophesied concerning the great commission of the gospel message. So this generation of Israel had never tasted flavor. They've never had the flavor of a fruit, grain, or vegetables. They ate manna their entire life. They drank water from a rock and ate food that appeared in the dew of the ground. They lived in extreme scorching heat by day and extreme shivering cold temperatures by night, but yet the pillar of God's presence was always amongst them. This generation wasn't softened by the pleasures of wealth or food. They were molded by the trails of the wilderness. 
They were toughened by the extreme temperatures. They had a hard outer shell, foiled. This generation was tough and they were dependent upon God because that is what they knew. The wilderness isn't designed to destroy your life, but rather build it up. It's designed for training and for shaping, for molding, for trials and tribulations. Some people believe that the wilderness is the result of a curse. If someone is going through hardships, if they're facing tribulations and difficulty, that they must, have, they must be sinners or that they must have made terrible choices. And sometimes the wilderness is the result of sin or choices, but a lot of times the wilderness is put there in preparation for greatness for your future. The Israelites did absolutely nothing wrong to end up in the position of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. Unlike the events that unfolded in the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, where exile was a result of their sin, but at this point, Israel was actually born into slavery. Every single human being is born into slavery. The Bible says that our flesh is sinful. We are born under the curse since the time of Adam. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short from the glory of God. This paints the very picture of the need of Christ, the need for forgiveness, the need for redemption, for grace, and for salvation. It paints the picture of Jesus' mission. But at this point, Israel was born into slavery for the very purpose of God's glory. Genesis chapter 15, God reveals to Abraham that he's waiting for the sin of the Amorites to come to a complete fullness before he brings Israel into their land. So now Joshua chapter 5 begins with that word in which God spoke to Abraham. Joshua 5, starting verse 1. Now when, all the, when the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So Israel now moves from becoming the object of oppression to the object of retribution and restitution against sin. They become the very tool and instrument God uses against the Amorites and the Canaanites exactly as he promised to Abraham. This is also a foreshadow of Christ and the church, the body of Christ who will reign with Christ for eternity and will judge the world. Times, like in the story of Joseph in Genesis, will use the person objected to oppression as the very object of purpose in the very lives of those who were the oppressors. Also, consider Jesus. Jesus was the object of rejection, the object of humiliation, badly mistreated, badly beaten, severely oppressed, acquainted with suffering and sorrow. Yet he became the very object of purpose and redemption in the very lives of those who oppressed him and the trespassers. That's you and me. And that's important to understand. God doesn't raise us up to be the hands of revenge or retaliation. He does position us as the he doesn't position us as the instrument of vengeance. But he usually in most cases will place us in the position as the instrument of hope and redemption in that person's life. And although God did use Israel to bring judgment against Egypt and the Amorites, God also brought salvation to the entire world, all the Gentiles 
through Israel because Christ was born through them. Now Joshua chapter 5, picking back up in verse 6, we read the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died. Since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Now the first and second generations of Israelites who were born to the twelve sons of Israel and Egypt were all well provided for. They all knew prosperity. They knew privilege. They knew wealth. And they got so accustomed to it that they never left Egypt to go back home. They never went back home, but instead they stayed put right there in Egypt. They saw absolutely no need and no reason to leave. They had everything they needed right there for them. And if you remember, the whole reason of how they even ended up in Egypt in the first place was because Joseph's brothers threw him into a well and sold him into slavery, which was another foreshadow of Christ. And it was through Joseph's hardships and journey that landed him in Egypt. And because of Joseph's obedience and faith in God, the favor of God was with Joseph and the ability to provide for Israel and even all of Egypt. At the very end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verses 20, 21, that scene that leads right into the events of the bondages and slavery of the book of Exodus of the Israelites, Joseph says to his brothers, he says it right there, you intended to harm me, but what you intended for harm, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done for the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. It's exactly what happened. They stayed put in Joseph's goodness for four generations, 400 years. But I believe what happened was they forgot the goodness of God and they took advantage of God's kindness and his mercy, which was exemplified through Joseph. So Exodus chapter 1 starts off by saying in verse 1 that the new Egyptian king rose to power where the relationship of Joseph and the Israelites had absolutely no meaning to him. When we become spoiled, when we forget the goodness of God, the things of God lose their value and meaning in our hearts. We become unsensitized to the priorities of God, and we take for granted the goodness of God. God not only saved the Israelites from a severe famine, but God also had saved Egypt from famine as well. And now that things were good, neither Egypt nor Israel had even remembered God. So what happened? Joshua chapter 5. As a result, those people simply demonstrated what was already in their hearts, and therefore their relationship with God and the appreciation of the wilderness had absolutely no meaning to them. So God allowed them to die right there in the desert as a result of their pride, their disobedience, and unthankfulness. That's why it's always important to maintain a heart of gratitude and to give thanks in all things to God. The new generation that was born in the wilderness saw the value of the land which God was bringing them to. They believed God. They trusted God. They valued their relationship with God over the materialism things, which is why they had faith, which is why freedom and liberation meant something to them. 
scripture says that God exalts the humble, but he humbles the proud. Humility isn't just an attitude. It's a posture. It's a position. That's why Jesus says that it's harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he says that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This generation of Israelites were blessed because of the wilderness. They were humble. They were meek. They were poor and contrite in heart. The wilderness had positioned them to receive the very blessings of God that was purposed and promised to them from the time of Abraham. They were destined for greatness because of their trials and tribulations. And because of that wilderness, they were equipped with the faith necessary to win every single victory against every single enemy they ever encountered. Now picking back up in Joshua chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of that month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There were no longer any manna for the Israelites but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now the Bible says that generation celebrated Passover. Passover was the very event that initiated Israel's exodus out of Egypt 400 years ago from that generation. The same festival in which Jesus was crucified for the deliverance and the redemption of mankind from the curses of sin and its eternal condemnation. And the Bible says in that very day, they ate for the very first time in their entire lives from the very birth. They got to taste the flavors of fruits and vegetables and grains from their own land. They got to enjoy that food that which they had never eaten before. Something entirely new, full of flavor. It says the manna had stopped on that very day. Now, can you imagine having to eat something kind of like tofu? having pretty much no flavor or seasoning at all your entire life, and then all of a sudden getting to eat something like an apple or a grape or freshly baked bread. Because of Jesus, we get to enjoy the full privileges of kingship and honor. And that generation throughout the entire book of Joshua defeated God's enemies left and right, and God established them and made them great among all of their neighbors and nations. Now, right now, it seems that we are completely surrounded by constant presence of evil. Our rights, our liberties, and our freedoms are constantly a threat. It seems that persecution and hate are always ever-present in front of us in our doorsteps. The Bible talks about the increase of wickedness, and evil as we draw nearer to the second coming of Jesus. 
However, just like that fourth generation of Israelites that were born in the wilderness, there is an incredible purpose and future for our children and the generation that's coming. The wilderness is designed to build character. It's designed to build faith. It's designed to build hope. Our children will have greater faith and greater hope than we have ever even imagined or dreamed. They won't know the spoils that we had. They won't be accustomed to the privileges that we have taken for granted. They'll be shaped and they'll be molded by humility for the purpose of faith, for the purpose of courage and greatness for the glory of God. They'll be moved by boldness as prophesied about by Zechariah chapter 12 and possess the heart and spirit of David. They won't bow down to liberalism, ideology, and will see the rewards and pleasures of serving God. And they'll be unrelenting and uncompromising in their pursuit of God's word and godliness. They'll be victorious and champions. Exactly how the Israelites were able to overcome all of their enemies The Bible says that even those born in the times of the tribulation period who possess the faith of Christ will not waver in their testimony. Our children will be blessed by God for the purpose and the glory of God, regardless of whatever tribulation or roads that lay ahead, rather prosperous or poor. Our future is eternal. Our future is purpose and secured in Jesus, and our hope and faith are in Him. The Bible says that all things are possible with God, and that all things are possible through Christ Jesus who gives us strength. Nehemiah told Israel during the times of the Babylonian and Persian captivity that the joy of the Lord is their strength, and they were able to miraculously rebuild their cities and the temple and that wall. The Bible tells us over 365 times, do not be afraid. Our strength is in God. Our purpose isn't about living in prosperity and security, but rather living according to the glory and the purpose of Christ. Jesus said that anyone who comes to him will not hunger or thirst. Come to him and he'll give you rest. He'll give rest to the weary. For those who wait upon the Lord will soar like wings of an eagle. They'll walk and not faint. They'll run and not grow weary. Trust in the Lord and he will make your path straight. And those who build a foundation of a Christ are like those who build a house on solid rock. Build your family on Jesus. Raise your children in the foundations of Christ. Teach them the gospel message. Lead them in the way of Christ. Show them how to walk in faith and in obedience to his word. And they won't succumb to the trials of the world or the harshness of the wilderness. Teach them to stand upon truth, to reverence integrity and character to stand upon biblical truth and foundation. Lead them as God led the Israelites through the Red Sea and across the Jordan. Lead them as Joshua led the Israelites through conquest of Canaan. Don't let your heart treasure the material things of the world more than the relationship with God through Jesus. Don't let your life be built upon the royalties of pleasures and abundance. As Christ said to Paul, my grace is sufficient enough for you. And as Paul responded by saying, I've learned the secret in being content rather than having a lot or having nothing at all. And that is that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Our purpose isn't the land in which we live in. Our purpose isn't the materials or the wealth we build up for ourselves. 
Our success isn't based upon the standards of the world or what careers we have or, or even the homes that we're able to buy. But our success is based upon our relationship with God. Just like Joshua in that generation, their success was based upon their relationship with God rather than upon who they were, what they had, and the knowledge or strength they possessed. No amount of money, no amount of college education can save anybody from the judgments of God nor the trials and the tribulations of this world. Only God can do that. Only God can save, and it's only by our faith in Jesus that we're able to withstand the judgments and the trials and the tribulations. It's our faith in Christ. It's our obedience to God's word that enables us to overcome and to reach our purpose and our destiny. It's only in Christ that anyone truly has any kind of future. And just like he said to Jeremiah 29, 11, just like he said to him in the midst of the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian captivity, my plans for you are not for harm or disaster, but they are for a future to give you hope. Our children's future depends upon their relationship to Jesus. Without Jesus, there is absolutely nothing. Just like 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, without love, we are nothing. There is no hope outside of Christ. There is no way out and no way through without the power of and love and the love of Jesus. Without Jesus, it's impossible. Not all the wealth, knowledge, or strength combined in the world can save a person. However, a person only needs Jesus to overcome anything and everything, even if the world throws everything it has at that person. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you would, please just take a moment to pray with me right now. If you're worried or concerned about your children, be encouraged by this word. Go, through, go back and read through Joshua chapter 5. Be encouraged to know that your children have a future brighter even than our own. And if you would just pray with me right now, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and thank you for your precious word and your Holy Spirit for revealing the truth to me. Lord, I ask in your name and the name of Jesus that you strengthen and encourage every single soul seeking encouragement from you for the future of their family and their children. May you lead them as you led Israel out of Egypt and out of the wilderness. May you bless them according to the measure of faith that you have given them. In your great and precious name, O Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now you can hear more great teachings just like this one on our website at tribeofchristians.com. You can also follow us on social media on our Facebook page. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and follow this podcast to get future words and help us to spread the gospel message. This concludes this episode's message. I'm the Chief Sinner with the Tribe of Christians, and may God continue to bless you and be with you always.